Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. Uh, I am Pete, and I am Iron Man. And I would like to point out that today's podcast is brought to you by Stark Industries. And indeed, Pete, where would we be without them? So, Pete, let's talk debriefing. Why are we doing this? What's on tap for today? Well, heading into uh, the fall premiere of uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, we wanted to really delve into the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, and really round it out into form as we head into the televised universe uh, and bring that together. So with the first episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. having screened last month at San Diego Comic-Con and the uh, September 24th uh, air date fixed, we figured, all right, it's a couple weeks between now and then. We're going to go through each of the Marvel Cinematic uh movies to this point give you our analysis within the constraints of the uh the format of the show we will run out each week um after each airing of a new episode of agents of shield and really give you a feel for what we're about heading into that and pete i think another uh aspect of the podcast as we lead up to the show any uh any time that there's uh, you know, breaking news about the series or, or uh, pertinent articles to share, that sort of thing. Uh, we'll be able to bring that up as well as we kind of zero in for the uh, that uh, launch date of uh, Tuesday, September 24th on ABC. For sure. And Pete, I think it's worth mentioning too, the, the buzz coming out of Comic-Con, uh, at least fan buzz, uh, seems to be fantastic for the series. I know some of the, you know, some of the critics were a little like... I, I read one article, which, uh, to be honest, I didn't even didn't even write down where it was from because it was so ridiculous. It was like, are fans going to know that this guy was dead and now he's come back? And it was like, are, are you aware Avengers did a billion dollars in box <laughs> office? Like, are you aware that like my parents, one of whom is a retiree, has seen most of these Marvel movies because they're great family movies? Uh, they're kind of you know soft PG thirteen and you know they were saddened to see that nice guy who was in all those movies die. Like, and when I said, Hey, he's going to get his own TV show. And it was like, Oh, Hey, that's great. That, you know, like, believe me, people know when my, when, when my parents and people like us and people half our age, Pete, all care about Adrian Colson. That's the hook into this show. Believe me, people are going to be like, what? Somebody who wasn't there is there now. I don't know about this. The thing so, I saw um, in terms of the concern about, you know, the, the show's um, well-being in a long sense was, you know, you're talking about a network with ABC that runs out shows for like scandal moms and, uh, you know, reality dancing uh, contests. And there's some concern there whether it will capture imagination, I think. Absolutely, it will catch your imagination. As you're saying, I think it skews across a far greater um, demographic. I think their demographic numbers off the uh, the early going will be very, very strong. It's just a question, will the stories deliver? Will the characters hit? And based on everything we've seen out of Marvel so far with the Disney involvement, I think they'll be just fine. 
Well, you mentioned the Disney involvement, not to not to stray too far from Marvel properties, but I, I think of uh, of uh, Once Upon a Time, which is not a, a show that's of my particular taste, but I know people love it. I know people are into it. I know it's warranted a spinoff, and all of that. I mean, maybe not every last character is a Disney character. Some of them are just kind of you know analogs of the basic fairy tale realm, but others not so much. Others are the you know the the disney animation holding of jiminy cricket or of this or of that that are all kind of un, uh, under the umbrella of that show and, and now it's spinoff um they're taking these disparate parts of disney animation from over here and uh this other movie over there and now we're going to do a tv show that kind of deals with that and you know it's if that's the imprint for the kind of synergy that Disney and ABC and Marvel are looking to have with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., well, then by that measure, uh, the Once Upon a Time and it's, um, I think it's Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is the, 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 the spinoff that's coming out. They've been resounding successes. It's enough, enough to have two on there. Are we going to be, a, you know, a couple of years from now talking about the next Marvel TV show? Uh, certainly it's all on, uh, on the back of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it seems like they know what they're doing. I have no worries about the brain trust here, Joss Whedon and his brother Jed and everything. You know, they've shown... Uh, well, let's not forget uh, Marissa Tancheron. Let's not forget Mar Marissa Tancheron either. Um, they're in wonderful hands. And, you know, the the plan as we know it is the show coupled with, you know, continual... Uh, release of the movies here. We've got a movie at Thanksgiving. We've got a movie in April. We've got a movie August of uh, next year. And then we've got, you know, the big Avengers uh, sequel uh, the following May 2015. So, you know, continued TV support. I mean, it, it might be like, um, well, it wasn't the heyday of Star Trek, but just in terms of you had a Star Trek show on and then you had a movie every couple of years although this will be much more frequent. So really nothing to this point has been done on this big a level this way. And I think they're really going to establish the pattern here of uh, how to run an entertainment property simultaneously on TV in the theater. And let's not forget, and again, I don't mean to turn this into kind of the, the anything but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., podcast but you know disney is keenly aware of you have to have a good product at the core good entertainment product at the core then you can link that to merchandising and theme park and rides and well, i know rides are in the theme park but you know characters walking around the theme park and rides and and this sort of thing and i feel like disney uh at least under uh under bob Iger, has figured that out where you need to have a quality product at the core. And as soon as you have that, then you then phase two is where's your where's your crossover? Where's your movie feeds the TV show? Where's your, you know, publishing? Where's your merchandising? So on and so forth. But step one is make it a good show. And Pete, on that uh, on that line of thinking, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you think I, mean, like, I guess the, the, the topic of the question is. Where does the synergy uh, lever fall? Will we see in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, in season one, maybe not will we, but how much, if any, um, 
synergy for other Marvel properties will we see? And I don't mean little stuff like, uh, you know, hey, put down that Daily Bugle there. I, I mean things <laughs> like, you know, do we have um, do we have Natalie Portman stop by for a scene or two or an episode, you know, in in October or November? Gee whiz, right ahead of Thor two uh, premiering. Do we have uh, Chris Pratt? stopping by and you say oh my goodness he's going to be in guardians of the galaxy next uh, august and they just totally downplayed it but that's 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 his character from guardians of the galaxy do they do that which i think there's lots of potential there right or do they hold back and say you know what this is going to be the agents of shield tv show if you're tuning in each week for bob downey and chris hemsworth sorry like our guys or don't like our guys this is our thing and maybe we'll make reference to you know oh, that darn stark so where do you think it's going to end up, Pete? A lot? Middle? None? I think middle. I think, you know, carting out, um, you know, Portman as an as an Academy Award winner as a ploy to get you over, uh, you know, the four-day Thanksgiving holiday to go see Thor um, might be a little much. Um, <laughs> well, know, when you put it like that. There's the bazooka <laughs> approach. <laughs> You know, there's the ironmonger approach uh, in, in, in the milieu we're working in today. And then there's, you know, the uh, the, the framework Iron Man suit, you know, the, the Mark whatever. That's not a giant behemoth of a <laughs> of a uh, of a suit. And I, I think that's what they'll work with. Um, you know, I think there'll be name drops. Um, I do know that Samuel Jackson at least uh, expressed interest in the pilot and there was some talk he would make himself available. I know that, um, you know, now, wait, he, Kobe, before you say anything else, hold on time out. I think for people who have not followed the PH Geek podcasts before, I think now is an important time to, to remind everybody that good, bad or, or indifferent uh, we run spoiler free and you are known on the Internet, uh, Internet. You are known on the internet as and spoiler internationally. Pete. That's right. You are known internationally on the international net as Spoiler Pete. Yeah. Hashtag Spoiler Pete uh, has been bandied about many times on the Twitter. Yes. Uh, but d d let me ask you this. Will you be withholding uh, uh, spoiling type things for those of us who like to have our our our, our ears as uh, pure as the virgin snow. To, to this point, I am. I mean, the only thing I'll—it's not a spoiler. It's it's out there, um, and it's it's been spoken about in public. So I don't believe it to be a spoiler. Is that Kobe Smulders is in the pilot? Agent Maria Hill shows up in the first episode. Pete, can I can I confess something to you? Yes. She is a delight in Avengers. I have a real. She is. She's in that, especially in that last scene. It's just like that's a that's a fine looking woman there. So I I, I agree. That's the specifically what I was referring to, spoiler wise. I think at least for the for the pilot thus far, I think it's out there to such a degree that people have heard it. You know what she says. That'll be the real interesting thing. Um, and I don't think it's a spoiler that she's a, a fine looking gal either. Oh, I, I think that's, <laughs> that's, that is no that, man. <laughs> that, that, uh, you know what? Absolutely. And absolutely. So with that, Matt, let's move into the second part of our debrief here. And we're really going to delve into Iron Man 2008, the very first of the Disney 
Marvel films. I think it's important that we draw a distinction that Marvel had been done before um, in the theater. And this was a reorganization, a reboot, a re-everything when it comes to that comic book property. Side note, Pete, and I don't mean to be the uh, attention deficit person to your, your, your great mental abilities here. Not that attention deficit people don't have great mental abilities. <laughs> Anyhow, um, do you know what the first Marvel comic book to be turned into a movie was? I don't. Uh, I guess either the really bad Fantastic Four movie or the really bad uh, Captain America movie. No, your boy. George Lucas was looking for the next hot thing after Return of the Jedi. And that's when he turned the Marvel comic book into the a Marvel comic book into the 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 Citizen Kane of bad movies. Howard the Duck. I can hear the music that you're playing in the background. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyhow, back Um, to Iron Man, which 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 pushed aside that previous Marvel continuity. Would Tim Robbins return as the scientist guy? No. Iron Man reboots the Marvel, or, or shall we even just say boots the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it, it was certainly a booting. And from the moment the movie begins, you know, this is Tony Stark getting Favreau to do it, who's such an unabashed comic guy. Um, this film hit on all cylinders, and it really had to be a success and a smashing success to be able to do what it is they're now setting up in the early stages of phase two now with the TV show and, and moving through the sequels for the other characters. Um, you know, Iron Man, of course, getting two movies in that first phase. But, um, you know, this is this is Tony Stark. This is the playboy philanthropist genius who, you know, um, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. There's really very little separation, I find, between the actor and the persona. And that's what made it so important that they re-sign him. Um, We don't have plans at this point for another Iron Man movie, but he's got to be the linchpin for Avengers 2. And they brought him back into the fold after... You know, Iron Man 3 success, obviously, and that, you know, he's, again, the linchpin negotiating on behalf of the other characters, I think, just speaks to his character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. And that's a wonderful anecdote that you mentioned there that, you know, uh, for better or worse, Marvel is, you know, has some pretty tight, uh, you know, tight purse purse strings uh, when it comes to uh, paying some of that talent, but Robert Downey Jr. got in at the at the ground floor and had the best deal of all, and then uh, has kind of been the Tony Stark for everybody else. <laughs> I'm sure, much to the chagrin of uh, you know Marvel Studios, who has a certain way they want to make it, and he's getting in the way of that. But uh, so far, he's on the the winning round for that. And I think his inclusion too was. Very, very key. I mean, let's be honest. He was not a movie star proper prior to the first Iron Man film. He was a guy who was on the fringes of the Brat Pack in the 80s, you know, had had his various brushes with the law like so many of them. And really, you know, in his late 30s, early 40s, had, you know, he'd been around. Um, 
he is an A-lister now because of this role. And um, the idea that, you know, again, he is Iron Man, he is Tony Stark, is the whole idea of turning uh, a character who was a fringe superhero, not really known or beloved by many, have to admit, heading into, you know, that first film. And now he is a marquee character. He is everywhere. And again, he's the quarterback of the Avengers. Well, I think that's that's a critical point that you mentioned, that this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, even all the way down to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, these are all the characters that the the smart people at every other movie studio didn't see potential in. Uh, the Spider-Man movie rights have been out there forever. The Spider-Man movie rights were part of the deal. They were intertwined uh, with the wheeling and dealing for some James Bond movie rights. And, and even before there, you know, I mean, this is mid-90s, early 90s, before there was even the, the Tobey Maguire movies. Uh, the X-Men, Wolverine uh, umbrella of films and all those characters. Fantastic Four. These are the characters that, you know, there's that awful Roger Corman um, uh, Fantastic Four movie that you can like kind of buy bootleg or, you know, see here and there. Or watch uh, season that, four of Arrested Development and basically get everything you need out of it. <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> but I mean, point being like somebody made a bad Fantastic Four movie uh, mid 90s in order to just keep the rights yeah, because the rights were that valuable. Nobody was like, oh, let, let, let's do the million dollar Iron Man movie. Let's do the million dollar Thor movie. It was just like, nope. So we're, we're all of this is being done with the quote unquote second string characters that have now become so beloved. Right. And I think it's key too. you know, you mentioned um, S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, bringing in Iron Man, rebooting this universe, making him, you know, the central figure in all of it with three films to this point. And this is the film in which S.H.I.E.L.D. is thrown at us for the first time. And the uh, Clark Gregg character, Agent Coulson, uh, that the plan started all the way back then. We're going to pepper him in to these films. And then I think it was like a locomotive. They just could not slow that momentum uh, down. And now he's the star of a TV show, uh, despite the fact that his character was killed in Avengers. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll just say right now, I can hear Pete. I can hear the uh, some of the fanboy listeners who we, we, we are so happy are listening. We can hear them jumping up and down saying, no, S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't introduced then. S.H.I.E.L.D. was introduced in Strange Tales number 135 in August 1965. <sighs> yes, we know. In this what universe. Pete was, <laughs> right. What Pete was saying is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is the focus of our movie podcast and the forthcoming podcast on the TV show, this was the little teensy introduction where you kind of go, oh, wait, what does he keep spelling? And then it's like, even if you're kind of a casual Marvel fan, you go, oh, S.H.I.E.L.D. I heard of them. They're like the something. But hey, that's pretty cool that they were working on that the whole movie. So Now, the acronym is different in the films than it had been originally. Yes, it originally stood for, if I, if I remember correctly, <laughs> Wikipedia, uh, for Supreme <laughs> Headquarters, comma, International Espionage, comma, Law Enforcement Division. This was changed uh, in 1991 to Strategic Hazard Intervention, Espionage, Logistics, Directorate. Whereas now, if you're wondering, Pete, it is Strategic Homeland Intervention, comma, 
Enforcement and Logistics Division. I think the homeland is key, too, and that touches on the, the terror aspect, despite the fact that, at least through the first several movies, they never handled it as terror, as touching upon, you know, the, the very real threats in the world that we live in. And then Iron Man 3, um, obviously the Mandarin and the aspects there that really hearken to the war on terror. But I think Homeland is, is the key one there, obviously a difference, and really puts this on another level, you know, hazard versus, you know, the idea we are trying to keep the country and the world safe. Yeah. And I mean, certainly, um, this is not a podcast where we're going to go down a, a political path, uh, in large part because the Marvel cinematic cinematic universe is largely apolitical. But I, I imagine whatever your, whatever your, you know, purple down the, down the middle of the, the political aisle example would be of, you know, agents using appropriate um, means to be completely preventative um, to break to break up that that sleeper cell before they do anything. Um, it's that kind of uh, it's that kind of vein. Obviously, with the comic book stuff turned up, the action stuff turned up, the fun adventure stuff turned up. It's that kind of um, protection of the homeland that uh, that they're tapping into, and that we've seen in the Marvel movies, where it's you know. Hey, some weird space tornado came in New Mexico. Let's go check that out. And there's some guy, you know, like, let's just let's just button it up and keep everybody safe, you know. So um, I guess they're, they're, they're lucky to have had that kind of benevolent uh, background before some of the more recent discussion of, uh, you know, government protecting us and all that. Definitely. And in terms of this film, Iron Man 1, you know, while it is your garden variety origin story, <laughs> it's it's Tony Stark, Iron Man. It's, you know, bring in Pepper Potts too, and to get a Gwyneth Paltrow to be in a film of this magnitude. I mean, that's what really has set this world apart. The, yeah, I mean, there's that deep casting bench that um, – and now, look, you might be – I don't want to say – I'm certainly not trying to suggest anything mean, but you might say – well, fact, when was Gwyneth Paltrow's last big movie before Iron Man? You might go down that road. Bottom line is she's a well-liked uh, screen personality. She is, uh, is, as you say, an Oscar winner. And that was kind of the, that was, uh, the starting point for, um, for getting, you know, filling out these rosters with great people. Maybe, maybe paying them. Um, you know, paying them a couple extra dollars along the way, as stingy as Marvel is rumored to be, but just saying, you know, to a Gwyneth Paltrow type, to a Natalie Portman type, uh, hey, come, you know, make this movie with us. It'll be, you know, it'll be four months. You'll get paid nicely. And then if you want to go do your, uh, you know, go do a smaller movie, we've, you know, off you go then. I know, in fact, I think it's uh, Pete, who is it? I think it's Glenn Close uh, had the comment in her uh, her forthcoming role in Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't think she started to film yet, but she was just kind of very upfront and saying, these seem like very, very nice people, and this seems like it's going to be a nice little adventure to go film in England and all that. But uh, 
part of the reason I took the job is because I like doing small character-driven movies. And uh, this is not a small movie, but they're paying me a lot of money, so I can now go do three character-driven movies. Um, that only helps Marvel to hear that they're getting the likes of Glenn Close and Natalie Portman and so on and so forth for these movies. Pete, it just speaks to... Um, speaks to that plan or, 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 or that maybe I don't know how deep it was a plan, but certainly speaks to something that we see, as you said here with the start of Iron Man, where you get a Gwyneth Paltrow and not mid to early, you know, early to mid thirties, blonde, redheaded, strawberry, blonde woman of no importance because, <laughs> you know, she's inexpensive. I mean, um, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and success breeds success, you know, um, as compared to, you know, again, and it's not a, well, I guess it is a dig at Disney. The idea, you know, when their animation went through the roof in the 90s and, you know, they're trotting out a Lion King one and a half, um, the so-called cheap quills, um, not right. with the same voice participation. Um, and again, you know, how far can we bury the property and still continue to get uh, revenue? And, you know, as difficult as their negotiations have been with their talent, look at the talent they get. Yeah. It is really what's amazing because I think a lot of these people really want to be in these movies. You know, uh, Portman's done the Star Wars thing. You know, she's she's got a geeky side to her. You know, um, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, being involved in this just brought such legitimacy um, and then you look at the choices they've they've continued to go to, you know, you wonder a couple years down the road, you know, um, and, and, you know, you'd like to think this this is sustainable for, you know, 10, 15 years. I, I don't know if anything is sustainable in, in Hollywood for that long in terms of a plan and direction and execution. But, you know, 2008 to 2013 and, and you look at their, you know, trend and, you know. It just really seems to have gone their way in just about every opportunity. I mean, we're, we're going to talk Hulk eventually, and, and that is the redheaded stepchild of the cinematic universe to this point. But based on um, his reaction in the Avengers, when they go back to him, and I think it's just a matter of when, um, they will completely turn that property around. I mean, I'll save the full Hulk discussion for, for when we do talk about that film. I think that um, if I'm going to say one thing, it's a mistake that Marvel made was having the Hulk movie come out, I want to say two months, two and a half months after Iron Man. Iron Man, one of the great comic book movies of all time. If Hulk came out six months later, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that Iron Man. That was pretty cool. Hey, here's another one. The fact that it was... A step down wouldn't have been as noticeable if you weren't coming off like I just saw Iron Man three times in the theaters. Now oh, let me go see another one of these movies. It's Hulk, and it, you know it's like it, it's as I say a step down. And the thing that uh, well, the, another thing that these films have established is you know what's become a norm now with blockbusters, particularly of a series, is the post credit sequence and this one sets it all up you know you get an a-lister in uh samuel jackson pop into uh you know the post-credit sequence 
to set up Avengers four years down the road, unheard of. Well, I remember even that like there was a little bit of buzz uh, right before Iron Man came out. There was a little bit of buzz that like Samuel Jackson had filmed that role, and there was there was some um, some rumors that 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 seemed to be pretty legitimate that um, that he had filmed this role. So watch out for it. And then every not everybody, but then. A, a, a significant number of people go to the press screenings, um, which you might say, well, oh, it's not a huge number of people. It's just the press. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe, you know, press plus one or this, that, the other. And, and bottom line is the rumor then spills out. There's nothing after the credits. Oh, it was just a, it was just a whatever. It's just wow, one of those wacky rumors you thought was true. Boom. Then the movie comes out. Oh, no, we withheld that from the from the press screening. There it is. Welcome to the idea that this world is so, so much bigger. Brilliant. And, you know, part of the overall strategy, you know, a bridge narratively, one thing to the next. I watched Thor the other night and, you know, after the credits, you know, opening up the suitcase and there's a Tesseract and, you know, boom, we're right to the beginning of Avengers, though it's one movie away. You know, and I, I think that really stresses this whole overarching plan and strategy that they have. Yeah, and as you say, like it's all it, it all comes back to this movie. It all comes back to Iron Man and the thought that um, look, Iron Man could have flopped. Iron Man could have been a very well made movie that flopped, um, or it might have done okay, but not enough to justify you know making anything after Hulk, et cetera, et cetera. But they said, let's take the, let's take the, the legitimate serious look, not just as this as a movie, but this as a universe where you might, you're going to make reference here and there and shield really would go see this guy. And, um, eh, that level of shadowing beyond, Oh, we're going to throw out a geek, you know, geek reference here. We're going to throw out a thing there just to, to really make it, not just a thread, but to make it a puzzle piece. And if this movie doesn't do anything with that puzzle piece, like it doesn't actually connect to somewhere else because there aren't subsequent movies or whatever, all right, then it just looks like a thread. But it's big enough that you can say, and we're going to connect, you know, we're going to connect more shield to this. We're going to connect the, the beginning of the Avengers that starts at the end of the previous movie, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it, it was all gain for them, um, despite the fact that there was a lot riding and you know you look six seven movies later you know where we stand in terms of starting that um it's just breathtaking to think of the accomplishment and really to wonder you know well what's next well what are we going to be looking at you know once the uh credits roll for guardians of the galaxy once we get to Avengers 2, et cetera, et cetera. You know, now we have a title for Avengers 2, the age of Ultron. And, you know, people go into Google and, you know, all right, what's Ultron, yada, yada, yada. And a relatively new storyline, um, you know, in the comic universe as it is. Um, but just looking at the Iron Man film, and again, as I mentioned, garden variety origin movie. We're going to give you the character. We're going to have him, you know, become the character 
Um, he's going to fight the battle and the end of the film, it's positioning him for the next adventure with his admission. I'm Iron Man. Um, but really so much deeper than that because of the performance. And here's something that could have been really, really dark given that the guy is in Afghanistan, um, in the middle part of the movie. And, you know, yet they managed to tonally um, hit all the right buttons when it came to the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe I'm correct in saying that in the original, uh, you know, the original version of Iron Man, uh, it was Vietnam. And uh, so obviously Afghanistan is a good update, but it um, it definitely... It just works. I, I, and I think, Pete, am I correct in saying that you're kind of suggesting it could have been a little bit too sensitive? Oh, definitely. I mean, you're talking, okay, yeah. you're talking, I mean, now we're, we're there 12 years. Um, but you're talking about a situation where, you know, that could have been like ripping open a Band-Aid in, you know, the, the spring of 2008 to, to push the Afghanistan button, um, you know, six and a half years into uh, America's longest war ever. And, you know, it, it didn't belabor it. It treated it with the seriousness that it needed to. Okay. The beginning of the film, we see, you know, haha, you know, Stark is a, a pompous ass, you know, uh, he's taking pictures with the guys in the Humvee and then bam, they get blindsided. We back it up a little bit. We see what he's all about. And then we see he is this merchant of death. And through his arc, the the abject seriousness of the Afghanistan conflict never gets belittled. Um, and it really could have been a, a quagmire from a filmic standpoint. And again, I just think they, they hit the perfect buttons there. And props to Favreau in terms of delicately managing that. Yeah, you're right. It's It's treated as as real um you know thereby grounding the movie and the marvel cinematic universe in reality but um you're somehow still able to to the to then have jokey arrogant uh tony stark it's kind of this um i mean it's a nimbleness that you almost i mean the only other example i can think of it uh you know, that sort of thing happening is actually a rather uh, apropos example is that of James Bond, where you're able to, uh, you know, kind of reflect the concerns of the day. James Bond does it, you know, to varying degrees. I don't know that James Bond in space was necessarily uh, <laughs> the, the, the strongest outing, but no. <laughs> um, I'll just mention, I mean, James Bond is, I think, to Marvel Studios, that's their template for um, when you need to push the nuclear button and you need to say, to Robert Downey Jr. or the next, the next one or the next one or the next one, you need to say, uh, no, we're not going to give you a gazillion T dollars. They're going to say, you shall ever be our Sean Connery. Now it's time to go find Roger Moore. And the guy after that, and the guy after that, like, you know, they're, they're not going to make, they're not going to stop making Marvel movies because one of these guys can't come to a price. And, uh, well, God bless if 45 years later, we're talking about the fifth Iron Man or whatever. I think that's Marvel's plan. Uh, hey. I mean, I don't, I don't know the, I, I, I don't know, and I don't know that anybody aside from half a dozen lawyers in Hollywood truly knows. But I don't know. 
the future, I don't know how to word this. I don't know what the, um, I don't know for how long 20th Century Fox and Sony have the uh, X-Men slash Wolverine slash Fantastic Four for Fox and uh, Spider-Man for Sony, how long they have those rights. It's probably some big, giant, complicated thing. If we've been talking for the last 30 years, people will make a bad movie in order to keep the rights or the rights get shifted around. But I think Marvel at some point is, you know, there's got to be some sort of, and regardless of what you do and regardless of how many movies you make, there's an end date there. And I think Marvel is just like, if phase three or phase six or phase 22 is the Marvel cinematic X-Men and Wolverine and Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer and so forth. Okay. Until then, guess what? We hit a home run with, you know, uh, a bench warmer and Iron Man. And we hit some more home runs with guys who you thought were AAA in the form of, you know, Captain America and Thor. And you know what? Now we're going to AA with Guardians of the Galaxy and, Pete, I don't know if you've seen the little snippets of Guardians of the Galaxy. I have, and I, I, you know, I didn't even need that to be sold. Um, you know, just just based, and I'm I'm not a Guardians of the Galaxy fan going in, um, but from everything I've read, um, you know, and you referenced the spoiler Pete thing, and I won't spoil here, but you know, I, I think that is going to be the biggest film of 2014. I, I totally agree, and I had not heard of Guardians of the Galaxy before stuff about the movie started to to be mentioned. Maybe about six months ago, a year ago, something like that. Right. But I'm just, yeah, I totally agree that I'm totally, totally psyched. But Pete, we are here, even though we wander back and forth in the <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, we are talking specifically today about the Iron Man film. Pete, I got in front of me. I know you have a duplicate copy. I got the dossier. Let's take a detailed look at the the bad guy, the threat, the new characters that the Iron Man film brings us. Pete, where would you like to start? Well, you got to start with who you originally feel in Iron Man is the bad guy, that of the uh, the terrorist uh, out there. Um, what is it? The twelve. Uh, the 12 rings. Am I getting that right there? Yes. Okay. Um, which is, I, I love that they brought that back in, um, uh, Iron Man three really, um, you know, came, full, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Came full circle with that. Um, but here you have, uh, this, I'm sorry, it's the 10 rings. It's the 10 rings. Oh, I'm, I'm losing geek points, geek cred. Uh Oh, okay. Um, but through what, uh, Stark goes through early on, you know, you get the feel that, you know, this guy um, is the bad guy. And why am I not pulling a name here, Matt? Is that Raza? Who yes, you're talking about? yes. The terrific uh, Ferran Tahir, who, you know, um, both between this film and his work in the Star Trek reboot, you know, has really increased his um, profile. And the guy's a big fan of the comics, apparently. Okay, so, you know, you you believe early on he's the heavy and then things change, don't they, Matt? Yeah. And I mean, that's it's to the credit of the story, too, because I don't think anybody in the world would have complained if it was Iron Man from America. You know, I won't use the phrase Captain America, but it's it's the same sentiment. You know, the 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 American, you know 
brash and brilliant and bold and sloppy and loud you know all of these things that you know good or bad can can fit into the american stereotype that he goes over to the strange place and using only his wits and a blowtorch he, you know he creates the mark one and then comes back with the mark two or the mark three and he totally lays waste to what we can all agree in the world is the you know the the bad the bad terrorists here right. in, in this movie you know that are that are centered in afghanistan but no it's it's to to the the great uh, credit of the story that the real bad guy is actually Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Daniels, who is the un, you know who's who's the, the 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 dark underbelly of our very society of our very country. He's you know he wants to keep selling weapons. He's want he wants to, he's caring less about the whole clean energy thing. He's just kind of um, almost evil for evil's sake. Where you could make the you could make the argument that. And they don't get too deep into Raza's, you know, motivations. But right. you could say, you know, Raza's doing it out of some sort of, you know, cultural motivation or understanding of, you know, religion or that kind of thing. Well, he wants to roll over, you know, all of Asia with one of those suits. And instead, who's the bad guy? It's Halliburton, man. Okay. Yeah. It's Cheney. It's the surrogate father figure. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it was brilliantly done at that time in history, you know, we're we're simultaneously having uh boy, I, I, i'm signing like uh looking back here we're simultaneously having uh obama's speech on race and that next election cycle you know um and consequently uh this film comes out and just completely uh gets on the outgoing administration <laughs> yeah 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 they're essentially the bad guy and it was like you know if iron man if if uh, tony stark wasn't which, which makes Tony Stark George W. Bush in this in this whole motif. <laughs> um, I wouldn't necessarily. The, the, the I wouldn't billionaire necessarily, playboy man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, be, you know, uh, be being totally apolitical about it. I think that's a really interesting take on the film. I really do. Yeah, it's like the billionaire playboy who maybe doesn't completely understand the power that he has has power thrust upon him. Yeah. and uh, and makes some decisions, some good, some bad. And, and you know uh, what? Pepper Potts is kind of librarian-ish, <laughs> yeah. just like just like Laura Bush. Yeah, there you go. And, and I guess uh, Rhodey could kind of, in a skirt, look like Condoleezza Rice. Uh, or Rhodey could be uh, Ro no. Rhodey is um, Colin Powell, yeah. who oh, then oh, gets yeah, yeah. Who, who who then gets unceremoniously booted out <laughs> and replaced. <laughs> Well, we, we mentioned before, and just quickly as a side note there, you know, so you talked about the hammer that, um, you know, Marvel holds and it's not uh, Molnir. It's the idea that we'll replace your ass. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you want, uh, you know, a billion dollars to be Iron Man. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen. And uh, we'll get somebody else. But that they did it with um, Terrence Howard to the sequel and getting a better actor, you know, all respect to Terrence Howard um, in Don Cheadle, um, again, speaks to them ratcheting this up. Um, maybe they wanted him from the get-go. It just didn't work out in terms of uh, schedules or whatever. But, you know, can you name another time you know, a character got recast and it's a better actor. 
Yeah. Well, uh, I could think of uh, uh, getting rid of uh, Jean-Vier Bougeot and replacing her with uh, Kate uh, Kate Mulgrew. Yeah, but I on think your, uh, Star, your Star Trek, Trek Voyager, Voyager and you know, um, you know, major films. Just a just a little, <laughs> just a little different. A little right. You know, no, and, no, no. I mean, I mean, joking aside, uh, you're right, and I don't know. I don't know. It, it would be interesting to have been a fly on the wall when that decision was made, just because. Um, I like Terrence Howard, but I really like Don Cheadle, and I think if the if their complaint was, as my my brother has the complaint, my brother, if we said Terrence Howard, or if we said uh, you know Iron Man, Terrence Howard, some sort of connection there, my brother's response would be, Donny. Tony. <laughs> now, look, Terrence Howard speaks a certain way, and um, if you saw Hustle and Flow, then you got a good. I mean, Terrence Howard is great in that, good as as a pretty despicable pa- character. So, if they got what they signed up for and weren't happy with it, then I feel bad for Terrence Howard. But I feel good for me, the movie viewer, because I like Don Cheadle. Right. Right. Um, but in terms of, you know, Stain being the bad guy, so the, the turns out the threat is very close. He's this surrogate father figure, you know, and he has been propping up, uh, the terrorists so that he ultimately, uh, gets the Iron Man technology. First, he just wanted Tony out of the way. And instead he gets something far more dangerous than, you know, um, the weapons of mass destruction that they already had. He gets the ultimate weapon of mass destruction, this technology they didn't even have yet that Tony crafts, um, you know, in his captivity and through his escape and to get them together. I mean, I, I think the biggest flaw of that film is the, the battle at the end there. And I would argue that in the first two Iron Men, movies that I, I believe would be iron man's iron, iron man's this is um that that's the my biggest complaint is that the 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 climactic battle falls a little flat i think the one in the second one is a little bit better but um you know you you get jeff bridges again a, a guy with chops here and and being able to be in the suit and to lord that over um you know tony stark iron man um it's good. It's not great. That's why they left you hungry for more in the sequel. And it, again, was a winning formula. It absolutely was. And uh, yeah, it's not a great, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a paint by numbers ending. Uh, I'm not suggesting I have a better one, but it's also not, not my job to have a better one. Um, but you know, if, if nothing else, it relied on, you know, it was a fun ending. And um, especially with the Iron Man movies, you know you it's so dependent on tony stark it's so dependent on robert downey jr that if you have a rough spot or in the case of iron man 2 you have a rough movie um it can plow on through just kind of by by sheer uh, momentum of uh, of rdj with that pete i think here we are at the the, the last page of this uh this really is a a fine leather bound dossier i'm not quite sure where you got it from but <laughs> So, Pete, I'll close the dossier. What's next on the list? Well, one uh, segment we're going to have in our podcast each week is going to be a look into level seven here. This is really the eyes only uh, aspect of S.H.I.E.L.D. and looking at some level seven theories in terms of uh, Iron Man. Uh, 
and um, you know the analysis of the overall film and where it falls in the universe. Um, being the first one, it's so so important. And where they set it up, you mentioned before that Iron Man originally had um, been a product of Vietnam. Gets the the shrapnel wound much in the same way. You know, the the uh, reactor is made. He gets the ability to hover around, and you know, you change some of the details by updating it, and again inserting it in um, the modernity of Afghanistan war on terror, you know, I, I think it really cemented itself. They could have tried to go and, and keep it, you know, uh, comic, um, centric with Vietnam. I just think, um, they were bright enough to know, you know, Hey, I'm 14 Vietnam. Oh, that's the thing grandpa fought in. You know, I I just think it would have fallen a little bit more flat to try to stretch it in such a way or create another conflict. Um, Well, I mean, it also speaks to the immediacy of the character um, where, yeah, first it was Vietnam because uh, Iron Man first appeared, I want to say 63. And I think the first Iron Man comic series was like 68. So that was incredible. You know, that was of the time then. I know in the '90s they updated it to uh, to the the Gulf War. So it's just kind of in keeping with that idea that Iron Man is a product of, or you know, Tony Stark, Tony Stark and Iron Man are, are both products of um, the dark underside of war of of our time. And you know, whether our time is the '60s and '70s, whether it's the '90s, whether it's today. And I think too. Um, to to come full circle with the Afghanistan um, portion of the film and where it falls in this, you know, speaking to that Cold War aspect, you know, that was the real chink in Russia's armor in terms of falling apart and the way that uh, the United States really um, backed uh, Afghanistan and, you know, helped in the rise of an Osama bin Laden and everything there and the echoes of that in this coupled with the fact that, you know, they didn't have to go with the original suits and the big Ironmonger design and everything like that, that had appeared in those very early Iron Man comics. You know, some designer could have said, you know, that's never going to fly here. And they, they really merged everything very, very well to create this cohesive, modern yet retro um vibe yeah you know that's an excellent point that i had never kind of uh considered that the the story is almost aided by the fact that the the first you know the mark one is so poorly um always is made under such poor conditions that um later you can make changes you know significant changes in terms of color design and you know this that the other as tony stark's um you know uh fabrication abilities increase but with that first one it you can really have it um be a uh, a forward-facing diving suit bulletproof vest flamethrower you know just you can make it as raggedy as you need to uh because the story allows you it's not kind of the you know the toby Maguire spider-man oh the first suit is very poorly made by hand yuck 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 it's like no, he's hand flattening this iron out 
So it's going to look just like, you know, the, the his first appearance in the comics. So you brought up before, and again, level seven is going to be an area of the podcast where we'll kick theories around and, and really kind of ask some open-ended questions. You, you threw out before, uh, Matt, this idea that, you know, the Hulk movie um, came out uh, two months after Iron Man in 2008, really kind of bunched together. And it's the only time they've, they've done films that close. Um, do you think that they thought or that there was um, some discussion, well, Iron Man, eh, do we lead with Hulk? Do, do we uh, start it that way, a recognizable, albeit familiar, because 2003 we have the um, Ang Lee Hulk, uh, Incredible Hulk movie, and rebooting it so soon after that, a la Spider-Man recently, albeit a, a much greater, you know, 10 years lag in time. Do you, do you think they ever considered that? I, you know, it's an interesting theory. I think the fact, I mean, look, I grew up a little bit after the Hulk TV series was on, but I was aware of it kind of on reruns right. and it would be like, uh, especially as a really young kid, like you kind of be like, oh, he's like sad and like walking and stuff. Uh, <laughs> when's it going to be really awesome where he's the Hulk, you know? Um, and then, oh, at the end, he's kind of like sad and he has to keep walking because he has no friends because he's afraid of like the Hulk inside him. And, and hey, look, Lou Ferrigno's on Reading Rainbow. That's awesome. They're going to talk about how he becomes the Hulk. <laughs> um, so the, there, there's such a pathos to the character. I, I'm not saying that you necessarily take that take that vibe from the TV series uh, and bring it over to a movie. Although I think in large part with the Ed Norton movie, they did. Um, do you have the, you know, in, in Marvel Studios and nascent Marvel Studios in 2005 or something, do you have a discussion about leading with, leading with a Bruce Banner uh, emotional story that occasionally has a superhero Hulk break out in that, in that movie? Um, do you lead with that in order to have your stamp of uh, of it being serious? I see. I don't know because the Hulk is such a tricky character. I mean, they have yet to kind of you know. There's been two movies now, and it kind of hasn't been the success they hoped for. Do I think they had that discussion? I, I don't know. Do I think it would have been better? I mean, if it was a different movie, perhaps. I, I think they're aided by the fact that the Iron Man movies are able to to hearken you into this world by it being grounded in reality, but also, uh, you know, and, and a serious reality at times, but then also to just say, this is, this is fun. We're here to have fun. Um, at the end of the day, maybe we learn a couple lessons. Um, I'm particularly thinking towards Iron Man three. Maybe we take a real, real, uh, long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror, but we're here to have fun. It's a comic book movie. We're here to just, you know, family entertainment, PG-13, Disney kind of aesthetic. And um, that's kind of that's kind of where I land, Pete. Well, Matt, the answer, of course, as spoiler, Pete, is that, yes, they did ponder Hulk and they made wisely uh, the right decision by not going with it. <laughs> but anyway. well said <laughs> with that, Matt, we're going to uh, head on into our final segment of our podcast and that is decrypted transmission and this is just another way of saying mail <laughs> well then 
Pete, what should we, what, what <laughs> decrypted transmission should we share? We don't have any mail just yet, but what we're going to do is we're going to throw out our contacts. So you might get in touch with us, Matt. Absolutely. You can, I probably the best way to interact with us to send one of those transmissions is to, uh, if you're on Twitter to tweet us at fantastic geek that's fantastic geek with a ph you can also send an email to fantastic geek at gmail.com or as always leave a comment on the website fantasticgeek.com. and uh i definitely look forward pete to hearing uh from people in uh in, you know in, in subsequent episodes i know that we friend of the podcasts plural um oh, i can't remember which one now I, I believe it was friend of the podcast dan Mulderlock on twitter uh, recently asked where, uh, you know, I thought you guys were going to do all the Marvel movies. Um, might have been another one of our uh, of our Twitter pals who have uh, joined us on some of our recent uh, previous podcasts. And uh, certainly if I've made a mistake, I'll, I'll, I'll update in the next episode. But um, that's a, that's all those ways we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, to be sharing those decrypted transmissions in the future. And Pete, fair is fair. I'm sure that there's some... I'm sure that some of the ladies listening now are saying, all right, enough, Matt. We want to hear more Pete. <laughs> Pete, why don't you share your uh, your personal Twitter and I'll share mine. And then uh, I guess with that, we'll, uh, we'll look to flying on out of here. You got it. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. And on Twitter, I am Looking Back Lost. Uh, obviously, uh, hopefully, uh, we have a couple of, uh, longtime listeners who could appreciate the, uh, appreciate the, the name of that, uh, that particular Twitter handle. So Pete, with that, let's look ahead to our next Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast as we count down to the series premiere on Tuesday, September 24th. What is next? We're going to be doing Hulk. Should be should be exciting because I think that it's uh, you know I'm definitely gonna gonna be rewatching it before we talk again. It's it's uh, I think it's a better movie than we think, but so many better movies have come after it that it might be pushed down on the list regardless. So it's kind of the as you said earlier, the redheaded stepchild. I agree, but we'll save that analysis for next time. Absolutely. Well, Pete, I will say. Adios to everybody, and I know you always have some fantastic uh, way that we can end the podcast. So, Pete, I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to everybody else later. What words of wisdom do you have for everyone? I am Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs>